Welcome back. We are continuing in our series in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter two. We're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12 today. We're inching our way through this this pivotal passage in the second chapter of Colossians. Pivotal. I'm referencing uh, verses six through 15. So we've taken a few weeks to get through that. And hopefully it hasn't been too painful. We're going to be in chapter two, verses 11 and 12. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one underneath your seat uh, if you're in the middle aisle. And if you are in one of the other seats, just have somebody pass that down to you. We're going to read these verses out loud together. And uh, if you don't have a Bible and you're eye challenged like I am, uh, you can cheat and read off the screen. Let's go ahead and read these together. uh, Colossians chapter two, verses 11 and 12. Here we go. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we pause to say thank you for the day. Thank you for the gathering of your church. Thank you for your word. God, may it Um, nourish us. May it encourage us. God, may it challenge us in those areas where we're weak, where we are thinking wrong, God, where our lives are not in line with it. God, we honor your word today as a church. God, we thank you for the gospel that Jesus Christ, the one who is preeminent, who's supreme, that existed in eternity, would condescend to our world, that he would live life as a human being, growing up in stature here as a man, and that by your plan he would die a brutal death on the cross. And so, God, make your gospel clear today. I pray that it would be powerful to change us, to save us, to make us more like you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone say it with me. Amen. 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 You know, uh, it's amazing how Movie lines can capture our attention and become a part of the vernacular of our pop culture. I'm thinking of, you know, way back long time ago in the 90s. You guys remember the 90s? Some of y'all aren't even old enough to remember the 90s. There's one movie, I think, there's there's several movies, obviously, in the 90s. But there's one in 1996, won several Academy Awards that uh, that has some lines in it that have become part of the language of our day, and it still exists to this day. And uh, the movie I'm thinking of is the movie Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire had the all-star cast, really. You had Tom Cruise as Jerry Maguire. You had Cuba Gooding Jr. as Rod Titwell, the famous Arizona football player. And then you had uh, Renee Zegweller, uh, I think I'm saying that right, who played the, the role of Dorothy Boyd. And uh, the way the story went is uh, Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire played... Uh, he played a sports, uh, a sports agent, yeah, and he had a conscience. He wrote a letter saying that there was too much, you know, too much bad stuff going on in the sports world, and he thought it should change. And he got fired from his job, okay, and he lost all of his clients. And uh, he decided to start a new company. Uh, the only one that went with him from his current agency was, was Dorothy, okay? The one client that stayed with him was was Cuba Gooding Jr., Rod Tidwell. And Jerry and, and Rod were on the phone one day, and, and Rod, Cuba Gooding Jr., had one thing in mind. 
show me the money. He's like, Jerry, the only reason I'm staying with you is because I'm sympathetic to you, but you got to show me the money. And I mean, that was that was a cool scene in that movie. First of all, because of uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s his acting. You remember? You guys remember him? I mean, he's <laughs> he's he's dancing. He's screaming through the phone. He had Jerry on the other end like, show me the money. Show me the money. It's become a part of the language of our culture. And we liken it back to that movie. There's one other line that, you know, the subplot in this movie, obviously, uh, is the love story that develops between Jerry and Dorothy, between Tom and, and Renee. And uh, it's an interesting story. He ends up marrying. I think he likes the, the idea of, of saving her, rescuing her, marrying her because he liked the, the, the son, her son, single mom with a son played by uh, Jonathan Lithnicki. OK, cute little boy. And uh, they get married and have a rocky road at the start of their marriage. And at the end of the movie, where they're, you know, basically they're, they're, it's all coming to a, a culmination. Uh, Tom and, and uh, Renee have been separated for a little bit. He comes to get her back. He bursts into this home where all these women, you know, all these women are gathered. You know what, you know what that's like. And then, I shouldn't have said that. I'll, I'll hear about that one later. I'm going to hear about that one later. I'll, forgive me, Lord Jesus. All right. So he bursts into this room with all these ladies, and he basically tells Dorothy, I, you know, I love you. All these words. And then he says this line, you complete me. You complete me. And it's every heart in the movie theater, every time you watch it, however many times you've watched it over the years, your heart just melts all over again. And, and this is the, the, the reaction that we have. The, the, the line, show me the money, is, is funny. It's the, the comedy of the situation with, with Cuba and his acting and the way he's you know, jiving and, and getting Tom to go along with, with this idea of you need to come through for me, buddy. That's the only reason I'm staying with you. But this line, you complete me, really captures our heart. The one, the one captures our attention. The other captures our heart. And, and the reason why it, 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 it defines really what we want in life. All of us are, are, are hoping or are hang, just hoping for something or someone to come along and complete us. You complete me really defines what we think about life. That really is the direction that Paul is taking us in our text today. And really, it's one of the consistent themes throughout this passage here, 6 through 15, but we could say all, all throughout Colossians, our completeness in Jesus Christ. And the fact that the, the, the title of my sermon today is You Are Complete in Jesus. But I would tell you a lot of times we don't sense that this is true, that we have all that we need in Jesus Christ. So we we compensate for what we believe is a deficiency in what we believe or a deficiency in in Jesus himself. We, we look to other people and we, we see how seemingly their life is so much better. They're happier. They're more content with the things they have. They're more spiritually mature. And we naturally want to be like them. We think our lives are incomplete and theirs are complete by what we see. We, we judge on the external. We start asking questions like, how can I improve my position in God? What do I need to do to be like all these other people who seemingly are having a better go at life than I am? And so Paul recognizes that this is going on in the church at Colossae. And he responds by 
continuing to show them first, mostly in chapter one, that, that Jesus is supreme. He's preeminent. And here he shows them Jesus is also sufficient. He has all that you need. You don't have to go to 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 add anything to him to feel like you're complete, to feel like you're a whole, to feel like you got it, that you're progressing spiritually. Jesus is has absolute sufficiency for us. Paul wants them and us to know that we're complete in Jesus alone. And so the Colossians error that Paul surfaces pretty much in this portion of of his book is is that is Jesus plus something. And we'll call it Jesus plus circumcision. That's what he's bringing out. I've got to do a little background work to help us recognize what what this really is, because this in many ways, this doesn't even make sense to us in the 21st century. Um, Firstly, I mean, you should know these these two verses here are some of the toughest verses in this hard to understand passage in the whole book. OK, and so we, we got to stay attentive um, just and, and, and hopefully plow in and I'll, you know, God willing, I'll help. I'll, I'll uh, be able to explain it to you in a way that makes sense. Um, you got to know this is this is one of the difference between topical preaching and expositional preaching. Expositional being I'm going to take a book of the Bible. I'm going to talk about it, unfold it, um, talk about it in its context and explain how it might help us out in our faith in the current day. Um, a topical preacher is not going to talk about circumcision. It's just not it's not going to happen. Um, if I had my choice of subjects to choose to talk about today, it, it circumcision would not have been the number one on my list. All right. But this is where we are in the text. So we're going to take a little bit of time and, and dig into it. Um, we should see these verses in verses uh, in verses 11 and 12 as a continuation of what Paul said in verse six and seven. What did he say in verse six and seven? He said, as you've received Jesus Christ, the Lord. So walk in him, rooted and built up in the faith, um, established in the faith, built, rooted and built up in Jesus, established in the faith so that you'll be abounding in thanksgiving. Here he's given practical application of exactly what that means. If I'm on a journey. If if the gospel, if, if my repentance and faith, repentance and faith toward Jesus have saved me, as I've, if, I, if I've received Jesus that way and I'm supposed to walk that same way, he's giving us some ideas of 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 actually how to make that walk more fruitful for us. And so the Colossian church had fallen into the same temptation that oftentimes many you and I fall into even today. We have doubts. Anybody ever have doubt? I mean, all of us in this room, whether you admit it or not, you have doubts. And the Colossians, this is this is their deal. They're new Gentile Christians. They're they're like us. Okay, they had not grown up in the Jewish tradition. They likely uh, came from pagan religions or no religion at all. They didn't have the the heritage and the legacy of 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 knowing about Moses and the parting of the Red Sea delivering the nation of Israel out of slavery into the wilderness. They had no knowledge of the tradition of all that went on in the in the wilderness, the, the temple and the tabernacles, uh, the worship of God. They they had no heritage connected with the great King David and the line of kings that came from from him in succession. They had a pure, simple faith. They heard the gospel from an evangelist called Epaphras and they believed it. And we're much the same. Most of us in this room aren't connected to Jewish tradition. And so when we come to faith in Jesus, we're coming on it not based upon 
uh, Jewish tradition and heritage, all the things that they uh, were told, all the things that they had to do that made them a part of the covenant community of God. We come in based upon our faith in Jesus. And so here's the situation in, in Colossae. Some, some Jewish teachers come in and they start telling the Colossians about all of this Jewish tradition that the Colossians had never heard about. And that they weren't familiar with. And the, the, the teachers are so adamant that this is this is the richness of our heritage and you should be experiencing this, too. Look at us. Look at how spiritual we are. Look at how life is going for us. You it's OK that you believe in Jesus and you're saved through him. But if you really want to be complete, if you really want to have a, a successful, mature, satisfying life in God, then you got you got to be you got to start with circumcision. That was that was the case. And, you know, we're listening to that as that that can't be right. There's got to be more to the argument of what the teachers were telling them than that. But I, I would tell you, yes, it is a little bit more. But that's the basis of of what they were presenting to the Colossians. That is the basis of what they were trying to get them to do. They weren't trying to they weren't telling them. You're not a Christian. You don't you haven't believed believing in Jesus doesn't save you. They were saying that you got to you got to do a little bit more to have a fruitful life. And that more is circumcision. And so from our purview, we're thinking, how in the world could they could they let that into the church and believe it? Because it's just so far from from where we are in the 21st century. It seems strange to us that the Colossians would. Uh, were being told they needed to be circumcised or that they would even that, uh, that that would even gain their favor. It doesn't make sense to us. To us, circumcision is just a medical procedure. Uh, it's, it's a decision and a, uh, a subsequent procedure that uh, if a parent would choose for their male child if they chose to do it. That's all circumcision is to us. However, for a Jew, circumcision what is what included them in God's family. In fact, the Bible tells us if a Jew wasn't circumcised, they couldn't even be within the, the, the camp of the, the nation of Israel. And we see this in Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14. Here Paul says this, uh, excuse me, Moses, Moses writes this, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. But he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It, for an Israelite, for a Jewish person, you got circumcised at, on, on the, the, your eighth day of life Okay, for, for males to signify that you were on the team, in the family, a part of God's covenant people. And if you did, had not had that done to you, you were ostracized. It's just that simple. And so ultimately, circumcision, like many other Old Testament 
institutions. I'm thinking uh, the, the temple, the tabernacle, the food diet, uh, their worship of God. All these things ultimately were, were, were intended to point to not the, not the external event, not the institution itself, but point to Jesus. That's what circumcision ultimately is supposed to do. It's supposed to point to Jesus. Even in this, um, even in this Genesis passage, uh, it, it seems as if um, Moses is writing from a perspective of this external act is going to make you right with God. We see unfolding in the Old Testament that it wasn't just an external um, thing that they were they were supposed to do. This really did imply that they that there was something God was going to do in their hearts. We see this in Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy chapter chapter 10. Moses here is writing as well. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And so circumcision, even in the Old Testament, was more than just an external um, cutting away of the foreskin of the male genital. It was it represented an inward spiritual reality cutting away sin of God doing something in our heart. And that's the way that we should see it. Obviously, today, Jesus has come. He's offered himself to bring about a heart transformation. And that was Paul's point here in verses 11 and 12. He's saying, hey, hey you know, these these teachers have come in and they've they've given you an external demand. As if that's going to make you right with God, as if that's going to make you whole, as if it's going to make you complete. And you should know God is always intended for uh, for this to to be a sign, to be representative of Jesus coming in by spirit and cutting out sin out of your life. And so he explains that in these verses. And so uh, before we get there, I mean, let's apply this real quick. Let's apply this real quick. Let's ask ourselves. So what does this mean for us? Chances are none of you have ever walked into Starbucks and as you're standing in line waiting to get your latte or your Americano or whatever you drink from Starbucks. I mean, you've never had a guy just lean up and say, hey, um, you ever been circumcised? I mean, has that ever happened to you? (laughs) It it ain't going to happen, right? That's not going to. Please, Lord, say it doesn't happen in in today. All right. If it happens to you, call me so I can (laughs) I can make it a sermon illustration. All right. That doesn't happen. (laughs) It doesn't have. I shouldn't. that's, That's just funny. That doesn't happen in our day. But I would tell you the Colossians error of giving in to thinking that that this external mark is going to make them right with God, is going to make them complete, is our error as well. We, we fall into the same error. And, and this is how we fall into it. Anytime we add anything, whether implicitly or explicitly to the work of Jesus, we are in effect saying that Jesus is not enough, that the, the cross is not sufficient to save completely and that his resurrection proves little and provides less. And so this leads us to the question, what kinds of things do we add to Jesus? What kind of things do we personally today add to Jesus? We're we're taking this idea of circumcision for the Colossians and sort of bringing it into our present day life. I haven't even gotten to the text yet, but this is important. I'm giving you I'm giving you all the meat up front because the texts are kind of they're they're dense. Okay, so I'm giving you the, the real meaning of what I'm trying to get across to you right now. What do we add to Jesus? I think the most obvious things that we add to Jesus is uh, we come oftentimes with uh, saying that you you have superior faith if you if you manifest some spiritual gift. Okay, I I can prophesy. I I hear from God. Do you hear from God? I speak in tongues. Do you speak in tongues? I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes we, we hold up this 
this, this superior Christianity that manifests itself through a spiritual gift and say that if you have not received this spiritual gift, then you probably need to seek God harder. You aren't a real Christian. And then other ways that we add to what Jesus has already done is the church gives. I mean, the church sometimes overtly, oftentimes subliminally will will put demands, will put, you know, just demands on you and say, if you don't attend or participate in this program, you're, you're not a spiritual, spiritual Christian. And honestly, churches, they do it intentionally. OK, I tell you guys to come to community group all the time. And I don't I don't know if you feel like that's a burden to you. I actually want you to come to community group, not because you'll be extra spiritual, because it's a part of discipleship. But you might hear it as as me telling you to add something to the faith that you already have. And if I don't come to community group, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be a good Christian. I'm not saying that. uh, So I hope you don't receive that that way. There are some subtle ways as well that we as Christians create markers of faith. That we tell people without telling them you are uh, you are complete, you're whole, you're a better Christian if you do these things. And, and this is how we do it. Check this out. Uh, what kind of Bible you got? I use the ESV. You use the New Living Translation. That's not the New Living Translation. That's not even a Bible. That's like that's like. I don't know. That's like, a you know, the Jesus Storybook Bible. We just gave the kids this morning at baby dedication. Don't we do that? Um, I've got a sign of the fish on the back of my car. Well, do you have one in the back of your car? Well, you're, if you aren't professing faith and putting, putting bumper stickers on the back of your car, how can you say you're a Christian? Well, my, my, bumper, my bumper sticker, my sign of the fish is eating a Darwin fish, so I'm superior to you as well. <laughs> or how about this? You ever, gone, you ever gone to a meeting where Christians are? And you can't even explain it, but you get in there and you just feel inferior. You don't even know what it is. You're looking around, you know, sizing people up, just trying not not necessarily sizing people up, just trying to fit in. But there's something about this group of people that it's, it's almost as if you are a lesser Christian than than they are. OK, I, I can't explain that one. Otherwise, I'll incriminate myself. Um, but here, here's the deal with all of these things. With, with, with all these little examples, what we're doing is um, we're pressing on people um, to to be better, to find their satisfaction, to find their wholeness, to find their completion in in what they see that really is an external manifestation. OK, rather than getting them to focus on what God does on the inside of us. These are all ways we question the completeness of Jesus work on our behalf. And, and Paul really isn't specific with the background details of of all this circumcision stuff and the exact things that the, the false teachers were presenting to the Colossians. But it appears that circumcision was being endorsed as as an addition, like all these other overt and subliminal things that we add to our faith. So where does that bring us? I think Paul's message for us today is our completeness in Jesus is in Jesus alone. Our completeness, our wholeness, our satisfaction in life doesn't come from an external procedure on our bodies. It doesn't come from adding anything to the faith that we already have. Not reading your Bible, not going to a Bible study, you know, not praying 10 hours a day. 
not doing what someone else tells you that you have to do to make you feel extra special. He says it's in Jesus. It's in his work, the work of Christ. I'm going to explain that. You know, one of the beautiful things that Paul does in these verses, really the whole this whole passage, 6 through 15, and then the whole book as a whole is to picture the work of Christ and the benefits that we receive by virtue of that work. The work of Christ is a complex term. And it's not just Jesus death on the cross. When I say the work of Christ, I'm thinking about Jesus from pre-incarnate, exalted God to incarnation, to the perfect life he lived on this earth, to uh, him dying on the cross, to him, him being buried, to him resurrecting, ascending and now reigning as Lord God and King over all of creation at the right hand of God. The work of Christ is it encompasses both Jesus as prophet, priest and king. Can't can't we don't have to, that's a sermon all in it itself. And so in those three little words is so much. But it's saying in the totality of all that Jesus is and all that he's done for us. There's this beauty that God does of we of he does the work. We gain the benefit. And so Paul He's not wagging his finger at the Colossians saying, you got this wrong, you got this wrong. He just keeps pointing them back to Jesus. He just keeps pointing them back. He keeps pointing us back to surpassing the the, the surpassing greatness of who Jesus is and what he's done. He centers our hearts on Christ's work, what he's done and how that signified for the church. In other words, what it means. And that's what verse 11 and 12 tell us. We're finally at the verses. Y'all good? Y'all doing all right? So um, after all that, verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so Paul is saying in Christ, you are complete. You're in the family of God. There's nothing else you need to do to feel like you belong, regardless of what's regardless of whatever pressures come external to what you've already believed. Know that you are complete in Jesus because of what he's done, not because of something that you do. And the picture he gives us is is circumcision. And that sounds weird, but listen to what it means. He, he wants the Colossians to see that a greater work of circumcision has happened, not physical and external, but internal and spiritual. And he gives it to he, he really is explaining two types of circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision and it's a metaphorical circumcision. First, the spiritual and the, in the, the first two phrases of this passage, he says it's a circumcision made without hands. I mean, how do you do something without you can't do something without hands, right? Well, you can do things without hands, but it's, it's, it's this, this picture of it's not your work. It's Christ's work. It's not you doing the, doing it and working it out. It's, it's God through Jesus doing it for you. That's his point here. And so Paul is contrasting the, the physical circumcision with the spiritual circumcision. One is a result of human effort and striving. The other is something that takes place in our lives solely as the work of God. It's a divine work. It's God doing it because you can't do it for yourself. And that is we can't bring it. We can't bring it about or add anything to what he's already done. It's a circumcision made without hands, but it's also made um, by putting off the body of flesh. And this is an important point right here. 
it's a circumcision that's that's uh, by put, it's a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh. And what he wants us to see that is circumcision is a graphic and a bloody practice. And, you know, most of the men, I've, I've said this word like a hundred times already. And all the men, I'm looking at your face. You're like, stop saying that word. Stop saying that word. You're like, turn to the side, got your legs crossed. And like we're sensitive to to the thought of anything happening in you know that area of our lives. And I would tell you, that's the point. That that's the point God is trying to make. He's trying to he's trying to call our attention to this idea to, to be sensitive to our own sinful flesh and the need for sin to be cut out of our lives. And so while circumcision of the Old Testament would would have cut off a small portion of flesh from every male, this spiritual circumcision achieves something far greater, way beyond just this this cutting off of a piece of, of flesh. It's the putting off of the body of flesh. That's way different. The words putting off simply mean stripping off and casting away. And and really, this is the this is the nail on the head. The body of flesh means our sinful nature. That's what he's talking about. God has by Jesus, through the spirit, his death on the cross, put to death our spiritual nature. He's. It will, later in Colossians, he says he nails it to the cross. Another way of saying it, he defeats it. He overthrows it. He makes it of nothing. That's what he's talking about here. And so this idea, our body of flesh is our sinful nature. Sinful nature, the good way to explain it is who we are apart from Jesus. Think about yourself, who you, if you're a Christian here today, who were you before you knew Jesus? That's your sinful flesh. That's, that's your sin acting itself out in all the ways that you act out when you don't know Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 2, 3 says that we live out of our passions. We, we are by nature children of wrath and, and we are opposed to God and God is opposed to us because of the sin that's in us. And so that should give you the clue there that anything that we do externally or physically to, to try and merit wholeness or to, 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 to seemingly get closer to God, it's not going to work because it doesn't get to the very root of our brokenness. The very root of our brokenness is not outside of us. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what if I cut off a leg or cut off a finger because it's, it's, it's gangrene. It, 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 our issue comes from the inside. Our sin comes from it's inside of us. And it originates in the, the sin of Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. I want to I want to spend a little bit of time on this, this sinful nature. I don't I don't really have time. But let me just say this. Let me ask this question. Uh, what what does it mean for Jesus to remove the body of flesh, to remove our sinful nature? Because this is an important point. I, it, it means Jesus has defeated. He's overthrown. He's cut loose the bondage of our sinful nature in us. But the truth is, it's not eradicated. For those of you that are Christians, you know, you truly believe in Jesus. You know, you still sin. Right. OK. And so the issue is on the cross, Jesus has defeated the sin in your life. He's defeated your sinful nature. He's 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 completely defeated it. The, the work is complete. However, he's not it's not completely eradicated. Because the eradication part happens through sanctification. Okay, we talked about that two, three weeks ago. Sanctification is the process where you work out all those things that God has already worked in. 
Sanctification is you simply being all those things that God has declared you to be. I wish I could tell you more. Romans 6 sort of unfolds this, uh, unfolds this like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for no one for, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And so just to uh, bring this point to a close and putting off the body of flesh, Jesus deals with our sinful nature in a complete way. Our sinful nature is stripped off. It's cast away by the personal work of Jesus. He does that on our behalf. Sanctification is the working out of that. Lastly, he says it's a circumcision made without hands. It's a circumcision uh, by the putting off the body of flesh and it's by the circumcision of Christ. And this is this is the metaphorical circumcision. He's not talking about Jesus as an eight day old boy getting circumcised. He's talking about Jesus death on the cross. It's metaphorical. Uh, Theologian. Um, Late theologian Kent Hughes says this about this phrase here. He says it provides a gruesome metaphor for the crucifixion. Jesus circumcision on the cross involved not the stripping away of a small piece of flesh, but the violent removal of his entire body in death. And so we are complete in Jesus. We're complete in Jesus because of the work of Jesus on the cross, specifically what he's done in our circumcision, not a circumcision made with hands, but a circumcision of our heart, cutting off, defeating, cutting loose, breaking the bondage of our sin by his death on the cross. That's what that's that's what verse 11 is telling us. And then we get to verse 12. The work of Christ, uh, what it signifies for the church. In other words, what does this mean? What does it mean that Christ has uh, that we are circumcised Uh, without hands, cutting off the body of flesh uh, by Jesus' crucifixion. And he likens it to baptism. Verse 12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. All right, like, what in the world? Sometimes we read scripture, and don't you have that effect? Like, what is he talking about? All right, he's talking about baptism. You all, you've heard of baptism, right? Either you're a Christian and you have publicly professed your, your faith with, uh, with the, the ordinance of baptism, or you've seen it on TV. You might have seen it in, you know, in a movie or something. Or you've seen uh, someone in your family get baptized. And this is what we can say about baptism. Um, it's, the new, it's the new covenant sign representing the spiritual and inward work of Jesus. We say it's the it's the outward demonstration of something that's gone that's happened on the inside. That really is what baptism is all about. God deals with our inward reality and he deals with it completely. He deals with it conclusively with our sinful nature. And then he raises us to newness of life. And so that's what's going on in the spiritual world. And this 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 practice of baptism is just it, it shows that out in the world. And so. Uh, when um, when someone gets baptized, they are publicly acknowledging uh, their profession of faith. OK, back in the, the Old Testament days, this is what circumcision was. Circumcision was the inclusion of a person into the family of God. OK, it was the inclusion of a person into the covenant community. Eight days old, you got circumcised and that gave you the stamp. You're accepted. 
You don't have to do any, regardless of how sinful you are, you are accepted. God loves you. You're a part of the family by this external act. Okay. And baptism is also symbolic of your inclusion with Christ. What is it symbolic of? It's symbolic of everything we talked about in verse 11. Okay. That you've been circumcised, not with not with a physical external circumcision, but with an internal spiritual circumcision. Jesus has come and without hands by his spirit has circumcised your heart, cutting off the, the sinful nature from you that you might live a free life toward him, for him, to him. You don't need anything else. You're complete in what he's already done. And so a person back to baptism, I, I Mixing the two. And so a person gets they make a they make a, 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 a confession of faith in Jesus. They, you know, in line with the Apostles Creed or, you know, they, they say, I believe that Jesus is God who came from eternity to earth and um, lived a perfect life in, uh, in in obedience to God's laws. And by God's plan, he went to he went to a, a fitful death on the cross, spilling his blood, his body beat. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He appeared to many people to to serve as witnesses of that. And then he rose again and then he's coming again. And so baptism is you identifying with all the Bible says about Jesus. And it's this public it's this public opportunity for you to profess your faith in front of all all those witnesses. The last thing I want you to see in this uh, Verse 12 is is this idea of union, union with Jesus in him, with him Um, at least nine times, approximately nine times between verse six and 15. Paul uses either the phrase that you are in Christ, that you are with Christ. Uh, The the way that theologians would would um, wrap that up is is to call it union, that there is a fellowship that happens between you and Jesus as you believe who he is and Trust in his work on the cross for you. Particularly in verse 12, Paul uses these words. He says with him. And those are significant words. Paul wants us to see that our life and death are interwoven. They're they're like this. We're in Christ. We're with him in in his in his life. We're in him with him in his death. We're in him with him. British theologian Derek Titwell says it like this in regards to uh, verse 12. He says, we see that Christ's death, burial and resurrection are intimately interwoven with our own. He died. His death was sealed by his burial and followed by his resurrection. What happened to him happens spiritually to us. As believers, we participate in his death by dying to self and to the world and its systems. We confirm that by bearing old ways of living and rising to a new way of living with him. We don't die like him, but with him. I like how that says that we're not buried like him, but with him. We have been raised not like him, but with him. Ephesians 2 gives us these these the same kind of uh, feeling that verse 12 gives us in verse four through six. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. And so this idea of death, burial, resurrection of Jesus gives our lives new meaning. It should get, it should give you a new a new way of thinking about your life. But it also gives you new power. And the power comes not in of yourself and what you do. It says the power comes through through faith. OK, power comes through faith. And so when life gets hard, when you have doubts, when you're looking at other people wanting to know how you can have the, the, the seemingly satisfactory life or be complete like them. or When somebody's coming and pressuring you to to do something to make your uh, to make your life in Christ more complete, then, then you turn back to what you know. The work of Christ on your behalf. And as verse 12 says it. It's our faith through him and the powerful working of God. It's not you and your external um, things that you do. It's what God has done. It's not a it's not a physical act that's external. It's a spiritual act that's on the inside. And so how, how do we deal with this? Um, you know, a lot of times we come to church and we want something to do. Yeah, I'm like that. I want I want the, the preacher to tell me something. I mean, what am I supposed to do, Jeff? What am I supposed to do with these crazy verses here? Right. Um, I could think of some things that you should do, but they wouldn't be right. I think sometimes God wants us to just um, listen to his word and, and know that we have to be before we do. And so this is one of those. I, this is one of those passages where he's saying this, this is this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is what it means. And so be know that when pressure in life comes, when struggle comes, when you doubt, when you don't know what to do, always revert back to who God has called you to be, who he is and what he's called you to be. And this is one of those instances. He's saying this is what God has done for you. Don't get confused on that. Hold on to this. Don't let go of this. And in light of this, this is who he's made you to be. And so two implications and I'll be done. The first thing is, is God is at work. God is at work. I, I give you a little bit. Of, I'm giving you a little bit of grammar over the last couple of weeks. And this is really a, a grammar kind of implication. Uh, the, the the words that Paul uses here in verses 11 and 12 are are passive verbs in the aorist tense, which means um, it's not you doing something to uh, to be good, to to make God like you more or to have people be satisfied in, in you and your life. Really, it's, it's God doing the work. He says you were circumcised. He says, you were buried with him. He says, you were also raised with him. These are not things that we do, but things that we receive in faith through Jesus Christ. And then the the other idea, the heiress tense means it's it's not a one time thing. Christ has done it and it's ongoing. Okay, And, and that should again, that should assuage you when life gets hard. When life, when, when you, when, when struggles come, always go back to what God has done. D- don't always revert to what, what do I need to do to make this right? What do I need to do to make myself feel better? 
restrain yourself from trying to feel better and go back to this place where this is what Jesus has done for me and know that that makes you complete. The other thing and the last thing is the personal work of Jesus. You know, a lot of times we talk about and we understand that we have a personal relationship with with Jesus. But I think what we often fail to comprehend is is that the personal work Jesus does for us today, you know, in our salvation applies for us today. And and as long as we're on this world in Christ, we put a lot of effort into to thinking about and and, and growing in these in these areas of praying and worship and communing with God at the personal level. And, and really, those are important for our faith. But I think what's implied in this passage is that there's power that comes from our personal identification in Jesus work. God wants you to identify not in what you do with your own hands in your own ability to make life work, to to make yourself complete. He wants you to rely on the power that's in Jesus work. And you can't conjure that up. So when this is the truth, when you unplug from what Jesus has done for you, that really is what brings doubt. That really is the, the, the source of you feeling incomplete. You've unplugged from what God has already called complete in you instead of relying on his work for you. And so despite what seems to be true. God has done a great work in you. Believe that that believe that work that he's done in you. We have to tap into that power by faith. It's through faith in the powerful working of God that he makes you complete. Not in what you do. Let's pray. Lord, we honor your word today. Thank you for these, these verses of Paul that, that challenge us, challenge us firstly in understanding what, what he meant in context and how they apply for us today. So God, I pray that you, even in hearing all that we've heard today, that your spirit would continue to teach us, that you would bring out those points that are pertinent for those who are here, and God, that you would just uh, have them spit out the that part that was in error or that that won't help them. God, I pray that you would grow us in this area of of understanding that we are complete by the work of Christ. And it's not just on the cross. It's his complete work. Thank you that Jesus was the was a great prophet that we can rely on his words as being the very word of God. Every word that Jesus said while he's on the earth, even the words he speaks now, are his his infallible and errant word. God help us to lean on Jesus' words. God, we thank you that Jesus and his work is a great priest for us. The writer of Hebrews says that that he has entered the the holy place both as a sacrifice and as a priest, and he mediates between us and God. And he offers himself as a perfect sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. But more than that, he's, he, 
He forgives us of our, our sin. He atones for us and makes intercession for us. Thank you for Jesus as priest. And thank you, Lord, that you've made him king over our lives. They didn't see him as that in the Bible days. Even as he rode on that donkey into Jerusalem and crying out, Hosanna, they didn't know he was a, a true king. He didn't come the way they expected it. God, help us not to miss it. That Jesus in his work is a true king. He's come to rule and reign over our hearts. He's ruling right now in the heavenlies. One day he'll come back and he'll reign over the heavens and the new earth. God, help us more importantly to see that this great work that Christ has done, he's done it for us. It's a personal work. It's a personal work that frees us from the bondage of our own sin, that we have been circumcised, not with the circumcision made with hands, but by the circumcision of Christ. It's not external and physical, it's spiritual, it's internal. And he means for it to, to change us, to make us more like him. God, do that in us. Give us faith in it. Help us to see it. Where we don't see it, Lord God, continue to bring us back to your word that we might believe it more. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.